Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, you've been jamming in the KLR Draft Challenge, and I have as well. How's it going for you? Well, I've only done two so far. Well, I guess I've done three drafts, but I haven't played any rounds with my third draft. Um, I think I've drafted pretty well. Um, I had a good first deck. It was a really, really good blue-black deck splashing white for uh, the Master Trinketeer, the like... 3-2 that can make servos and can uh, give Thopters and servos plus one plus one. Um, that was really sweet. I had Tezzeret in that deck, but I one twoed And then I 3 twoed with a really spicy, I sent this to you and Alex in our Discord chat. I had a really spicy five-color brew with four attuned with ethers. Yeah, sweet. It has been tough. I have had the same records as you so far. I one twoed my first one with a base white green deck with Nissa that I opened, pack one, pick one. And then I 3 twoed again with a base white green deck with an Ajani that I opened pack one pick one but it felt weird getting pigeonholed into green white two drafts in a row i've actually done a third draft also and i was supposed to be green white i think in that third draft but i just didn't want to do it again so i sort of shoehorned my way into blue white and it didn't work out super well but it was odd drafting green white so much after not having done it hardly at all over the course of kaladesh so far yeah it's not i mean like like we've been saying i think all the colors are good all the color pairs are good but green white i would say is is one that i am probably not trying to get into very often. I think, you know, this draft challenge is this uh, tournament for folks who don't know on Arena where you enter, it's like twice the cost of a normal draft. um, And there's some prize support at the very, very top. You know, you have the chance to go six wins or two losses, whichever comes first. And for for me and Ben so far, it's been the two losses. Um, And it's, (laughs) it's, it's not a really good prize support, but I do feel pretty strongly that like, you know, it'll be over by the time the episode comes out. But I've, I, going into it, I was like, I know the price support is not good, but I feel like I have to vote with my gems that this is something I want to see. I want to see more, you know, it's not even high stakes, but just higher stakes, some sort of limited tournaments. I want Watsi and Arena to know that that this is something that the community is interested in. Yep, that's how I felt as well. That's why I've entered three times. I will probably play as much as I get a chance to. Also, I would just be willing to pay extra to play best of three Kaladesh. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really, really true. Yeah, I am sad that they did not extend it another week, but uh, the best of three Kaladesh has been a blast so far. Yeah, absolutely. So today we're going to be continuing on the road of uh, of Kaladesh here. We're going to be doing our patented What's the Play episodes. We've got some Keeper Mold decisions and then some in-game decisions that we're going to look at from Kaladesh Remastered on Arena. But before we get into that, a couple housekeeping things. First things first is the Lords of Limited Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. Obviously, the show always going to be free. But, you know, if you feel like the show is giving you some value, you want to give back to us. We've got some perks there along the way for you, depending on which tier you want. Anything from getting access to the Discord and getting a shout out on the show, all the way up to getting monthly coaching sessions from me or Ben. Um, so those patrons that joined this week, we are happy to welcome to the fold Jorgen, Charlie, Andrew, and Felix. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. The Discord has been sweet. It's been a great way to connect with people that are also playing this draft challenge, seeing what's doing well for people, and you know, just rooting each other on. So it's been a blast. Yeah, absolutely. This podcast is also brought to you in part by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com, best place to go for anything and everything you need magic-related. We've got some sweet stuff coming up there. You, Alex, and I recorded a Commander Legends video. So we hopped in the Commander Legends draft queues on MTGO and tried to like all queue together and time the countdowns for when we found a match. And we did end up getting <laughs> the three of us in a match. Took a while. Yeah. Um, but we got there. 
And so we played out a Commander Legends game on MTGO and have all three of our draft videos in the video as well. So something to be on the lookout for from CFB. They've got some other sweet stuff cooking over there. You know, this past week was Thanksgiving week, Black Friday, all that sort of stuff. They have some Black Friday deals that are going to be running until the Monday that this episode is released. So if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, you can head on over to CFB for some sweet Black Friday deals. One of the most interesting ones, I think, if you've been on the fence about CFB Pro, for just 25 bucks, you can sign up for six months of CFB Pro and get $30 of store credit. So they're essentially paying you in store credit to get on CFB Pro. So pretty sweet. And if you do that, make sure you remember to use code LOL when you go over to Channel Fireball and check out so that they know that we sent you over there. Yeah, I saw that deal on Twitter and I was kind of blown away. I was like, how how is this possible? <laughs> like, I, I just don't <laughs> really understand, but they're doing it and it's working. So yeah, definitely think that's uh, that's worth taking them up on. That's the Riley and Dennis shtick every week on Scry Me River. Like, oh, is CFB it? is just giving away money. They've done <laughs> it again, you know? Like, how is John Sasso running a company? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right. Well, Ben, we want to kick things off here with uh, you got a bunch of keeper mold decisions that I'm excited to uh, pick your brain about here. Yeah, these are all keeper molds from the draft challenge yesterday. Unfortunately, we did not run great in the draft challenge, but it was interesting. I felt myself partially because and... of these openers you were gifted. Yikes. Yeah, <laughs> it was tough. And I, I kept overthinking these mulligan decisions a little bit, partly because it was a little bit higher stakes of a draft tournament. So I'm wondering if I got in my head a little bit. So I haven't told you what I did here on no. these keep because I, I want I want validation or <laughs> crucifixion, one of the two. So first deck here that we've got is 15 lander. We have eight green sources, six white sources, one black source, and triple attune with ether to help smooth our mana. Would have liked one more green source in there, but we have a double white card in aerial responder, so I wanted to keep the plane sources fairly high as well. Um, curve is fine. It's a little clunky of a deck. We have triple seed sculptor in the two drop slot along with some other twos. Um, good threes in Aerial Responder, Thriving Rhino, and then the five drop slot is pretty clogged. We have Triple Self Assembler, Double Dawn Feather Eagle, and Nissa Vital Force. One of the things I kept running into in these drafts was in green white, you can't really do the self assembler thing because there's right. so many good fives in green and you kind of have to pick Dawn Feather Eagle highly. But I do like self assemblers, so I just got myself in trouble there a couple times. Mm -hmm. uh, and then topping off the curve, there's a Rishkar's Expertise that's the rare. It lets you draw cards equal to the greatest power among creatures you control and play a five drop for free, which we have plenty of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. That looks looks pretty pretty sweet yeah it's a solid little deck very powerful a little clunky so first keeper mole from that deck this is in the dark your opening hand you've already mulliganed once so this is your you're having to put a card back here and if you mulligan again you're going down to five on the play your hand is four planes swamp forest and that mythic rare planeswalker nissa vital force oof ben this is already a mulligan i didn't miss that the first time i was looking at this image i think unfortunately you have to ship this what would be my gut instinct um certainly being on the play makes me a little more inclined to keep a clunker like this but the fact if you had double green in hand already i think you can keep this the fact that one of the things you need to draw in the next four turns is a green source or like i guess in a tune also but just essentially a blank like you want to draw you want to draw both lands and spells with this hand or a land and spells with this hand i think you got to ship it so there's 10-ish green sources remaining in the deck, just for, for facts here. 10-ish green sources, and you have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 cards that you're happy playing as 2 drops or 3 drops, and you also have 4 drops you can draw. So that's 12, 3 times... I mean, that you've got, you're, you are likely to hit something, but then you also need to draw a green source. 
I don't know. I feel like the, the needing lands and spells aspect of this hand makes me want to ship it. Yeah, it's tough. I kept <laughs> decided I did the Ben warning. I'm going to trust my deck. Yeah, this is a lot of trusting your deck, though. It feels your win percentage is so low on five. Though This was in the dark, too. I didn't had no idea what my opponent was doing. Right. Yeah, your win percentage is very low on five. But you're also your win percentage is low if you don't affect the board before turn five. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah, I don't know. That, that's very close. I did miss the, the fact that you'd already mulligan. That makes this... A bit more of a yikes. So I did keep, and I don't remember whether or not I won this game, but we did get a place of magic. I mean, we drew cards, eventually cast Nissa. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the results are irrelevant. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Just trying to story weave for uh-huh. the listeners here. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> All right. So next one we've got is the same deck. This is against fellow streamer Metal Mario. Ooh. Who came into my stream and was like, oh, what's this? And I told him what it was and then joined and promptly crushed me. (laughs) (laughs) So opening hand here is Forest, Countless Gears Renegade, Dawn Feather Eagle, Attune with Aether, Pacification Array, Nissa Vital Force, and one of your three self-assemblers. So you've essentially got two lands, right? Because you've got Forest, Attune. Yeah, and you're on the play. And you'll find a Plains. This hand is really awkward, though, because you basically need to hit three straight lands like you do have a play on two with countless gears renegade you have pacification array which you can use like in this ideal scenario where you do draw then three additional lands to be able to hit your five drops then you have pacification array as something to do with your mana and also it's like a pseudo removal spell it's awkward if you aren't drawing lands because pacification array is then kind of dead and you don't have a ton of two drops in the deck, as we said, right? There's like a couple seed sculptors and a Eddie Trailhawk. This is really close. I guess if it's really close, I would just keep the old yikes and keep. Yeah, I did the old yikes and keep and it did not work out very well. Metal Mario curved out with essentially almost a mono red deck and crushed me. So but does that change what you would do here? Do you think like it's just too sketchy of a keep? Well, this was in the dark, so I, I had no information. My base assumption in Kaladesh best of three is that I'm going to have a little bit of time. Uh-huh. Yeah, that it's not like blisteringly fast. And I had the pacification array to delay if I drew some land drops. And if you drew, I don't know. It's a sketchy keep. It's a, I agree. It's a sketchy keep, yeah. Maybe it is, in fact, a mulligan. I don't know. I think it probably is a mulligan, but I had already mulliganed. I, this is what I'm saying. Like, I was getting in my head. I'd already mulliganed a lot in the first match I played. This is the second match. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, that does that does affect you a lot. I think that even affects me in just a regular, like, you know, three-round best-of-three deal or even in a, a best-of-one run, you know? that that Mulligans feel really bad. Yep. All right, next one. This is still the same deck, and your opponent has mulliganed twice. You've mulliganed once and you are on the draw. So your opponent's going to five for sure. This is whether or not you want to keep this six or ship it back and look at a five. So this is Plains Forest for your lands, and then your spells are Revoke Privileges, Propeller Pioneer, Nissa Vital Force, Self-Assembler, Self-Assembler. So you can keep and put a card back, or you can mulligan. I would keep this and then put Self-Assembler on the bottom. That is what I did as well. I kept put Self-Assembler on the bottom, and then my opponent curved out Long Tusk Cub into vomiting their hand, and I bricked on lands. So not great, but I think I made the correct decision there. Yeah, you have to keep this. Like, you're, you have six. 16, I guess it's not quite because we're counting the three attunes. I was going to say you have 16 outs three times or whatever, but you don't quite because if you draw, if you brick, brick, and then draw a tune, that doesn't mean you get to play revoke privileges on curve. So it's a, the, the math is a little sketchier, but I still feel pretty. This is the most confident 
I have felt of my decisions so far of these that you've presented <laughs> that this is a keep. Yeah, I, ke- I kept as well. And I agree for the same reasons. It just didn't work out. All right. Next one, we are on to a new deck. It's actually a very similar deck to the first deck. Again, it's a base green white deck. And we have a Johnny Unyielding instead of Nissa as our Planeswalker of choice. And our five drops are a little bit better. We have double Ridge Scale Tusker, Oof. double Dawn Feather Eagle. And then the Creature Curve is sweet as well. I mean, our three drop slot is good. We've got triple Glint Sleeve Artisan and a Thriving Rhino. We've got some good two in a Druid of the Cowl and then some filler twos. And we've got an Ovia Pashiri that did some serious heavy lifting through the course of this run uh, in the one drop slot. That card is very good. And good mana. We have nine, nine green sources, eight white sources. Where No attunes though. This deck is way worse. <laughs> we didn't really have much to do with the energy from the attunes in the other deck though. So That's true. So we've got a bit of a curveball here when we do this next Keeper Mall. This is game two and I have sideboarded and changed my mana base up a little bit. So I've cited in a Restoration Gearsmith off of a single Swamp and two Wild Wanderers. So we have three sources for a Restoration Gearsmith, which is actually in our hand. So our hand is Swamp, Forest, Restoration Gearsmith, Thriving Rhino, Wild Wanderer, Wild Wanderer, and Ridge Scale Tusker. And we are on the play. Yeah, this again, I feel pretty confident that this is a keep. Um, Two shots at a mana source to play Rhino on curve. And then whatever, three shots at two lands to play Wild Wanderer on curve is less likely. But as we said before, your curve is like pretty good, though you don't have white, I suppose. So you're like Glint Sleeve Artisans are off. But, you know, you've got other stuff. You can draw a Druid of the Cowl as well as something that you can play um, to be able to cast the Wild Wanderers with an additional land. You know, it's it's a little sketchy, but I think, you know, my general heuristic for Keeper Mulligans is like looking for reasons to keep hands, not reasons to mulligan because mulliganing is so bad and limited. Like, you know, in constructed, you can get away with like, you know, you know what your your opening hand needs to look like. And especially when you know what the matchup is, right? You like know what, what the important cards are that you need to find. In limited, I think it's much more about card quantity than it is card quality. And so I think having seven over six cards is pretty, pretty darn important. Yeah, I agree. I kept here as well. I think the fact that the two wild wanderers are in hand. So, you know, if you draw any lands, your mana is going to work out mm-hmm. and you really only have to hit four land drops because your wild wanders are going to get you to your fifth land drop for ridge scale tusker plus gears this this hand has a good hand like you're smithing back a ridge scale tusker after it's died or something is pretty big game so i did keep and i think it's not irrelevant that thriving rhino is a really good first play of the game yes agreed all right same deck again we're keeper mulling here and we are on the play in the dark and your hand is this this is planes 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 Forest, Alley Evasion, Nature's Way, Ajani Unyielding. This is a pretty easy mulligan in my mind. Yeah, I kept. You cannot keep this hand. <laughs> it's in the dark. It's This hand does nothing. This hand is so bad. Okay, can I change your mind if I tell you that we have... See, one, two, no, three, you cannot. Four. Nothing you can say will change <laughs> Six, my seven, mind. Eight, nine. We have nine hits at three CMC or less, and that goes up to 12 hits at four CMC or less. But you can't, like, the nine hits thing really doesn't sell me because, like, nine outs, whatever, twice is sub 50%. And you're not happy if your first play is a four drop with your best card in hand? No, I'm not. Because the other problem with this hand is that you have no real way to protect a Johnny. Like, you need so much to go right. And again, this hand needs you to draw two more lands, which is not something you're interested in doing. Yeah, I know. I'm bad. You're not bad. <laughs> you're just, you just had a lot of mulligans yesterday. 
Yeah. So I, I kept this hand and we got steamrolled. I drew <laughs> all, all lands, no action Oof. from this point. Yeah. Okay, so our last and final deck here is a blue-white deck. This is my third entry, my third re-rack here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're nine islands, eight planes, mostly to get more blue sources for Double Gear Seeker Serpent at the top of the curve. But this, I think, is the most streamlined deck I've drafted yet. I think this is the best of the bunch. Mm-hmm. So twos are good. We have an Ether Swooper, Double Eddy Trail Hawk, Double Cog Workers Puzzle Knot, Sky Skiff. Again, some Glint Sleeve Artisans. Like we have the support for the Gear Seeker Serpents in the two and threes, just as like good cards. Double Propeller Pioneer in the fours, and then a Cloud Blazer and two Dawn Feather Eagles as fives. Some good interaction in Sky Whaler Shot, Malfunction, and a Fairgrounds Warden and a Pacification Array. Yeah, this deck looks, you know, not exciting, but. Definitely solid. All right. So our last Keeper Mall here is on the play against an opponent that we know has a Nissa Planeswalker and other good top end. So generally, I think we're better off in the matchup if we can pressure them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is our Keeper Mall here. This is Plains Island, Cogworkers Puzzle Knot, Sky Whaler Shot, Propeller Pioneer, and Double Dawn Feather Eagle on the play. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you, you would hope to just like rip three lands in a row because this this hand has the potential to curve out pretty effectively with Puzzle Knot. And I think, you know, the fact that we know our opponent is green means that they probably have a lot of targets for Sky Whaler Shot. So like any land you get, which you're likely to get, you know, even on time, right? One, one land in the next two draws is pretty likely. And then you have shot to scry to try and find another land. Like if you can go on curve with this hand, it's going to be good. Like Puzzle Knot. And the fact that Puzzle Knot is something you can then cast and then you know if you brick on a land then you still have something to do with your mana in cracking puzzle knot as you like attempt to go wide to these double dawn feather eagles i think this hand can go wrong but i think this is a a pretty clear keep in my mind it was a keep for me as well it did not end quite as magically (laughs) as you described i i bricked on lands and then my opponent creeping molded my single planes and then i was stuck on two islands for most of the game oh my god that's (laughs) brutal that was how that was how my klr draft challenge ended that is brutal so this this whole keeper mole uh imager link you have here is just a bunch of you saying i made the right decision and then got savaged no, I made some wrong decisions too. <laughs> I think we established that as well. I, I kept some sketchy hands. It's a lot of yeah. That's a lot of dicey, dicey hands for sure. You were really put up against it back to back to back. Yep. All right. So uh, moving away from keeper mulligans and into some in-game decisions. First up here, this was actually I had the the privilege of being joined on stream by Mr. Metronome this week. Thankful to uh, to your Thanksgiving break week. I've got to re-rack uh, duo streams, which we haven't done in a long time. So that was fun. So this is from a deck we drafted together and I uh, got to play out this game together. So this is a, a black-white grindy deck. Classic uh, Ethan here with triple night market lookout. Uh, three vehicles, including da-da-da-da, Sky Sovereign console flagship at the top of the curve, double restoration gearsmith, and a hidden stockpile. This deck can grind. It's game three here in a mirror match, and we've sideboarded quite a bit on the draw against our opponent. We took out the Night Market Lookouts and uh, a couple of our clunky vehicles, obviously left in Sky Sovereign. We wanted some more Fabricate, some more two-for-ones, a Pillar Bug to stop their two-twos and one-ones. So that's that's where, we're, where we landed here. And the situation we've got ourselves into is pretty darn interesting here so we've traded off quite a bit we're deep into the game here the life totals are 12 for us and 22 for our opponent and for for anyone who hasn't followed along with our what's the play episodes before we'll have a bunch of imager links in the show notes where you download the show um so you can follow along at home if our descriptions aren't uh as clear as they might be because this board state is a little complex here so uh, on our side of the battlefield we've got uh, four untapped creatures 
a propeller pioneer, percata pillar bug, and two servos, as well as a cog worker's puzzle knot able to be cracked because we have three mana available. So we have the mana available to crack puzzle knot and to activate pillar bug. And our opponent has alpha strike here. They've got eager construct, glint sleeve artisan with a counter on it, and fairgrounds warden wearing an inventor's goggles sending at face here, right? So uh, so three creatures attacking us. And under the fairgrounds warden is a restoration gearsmith, which is pretty, pretty spicy that our opponent took that with uh, us being able to get that enter the battlefield effect if fairgrounds warden goes bye-bye. So what could this mean? What does this attack mean? I think is the first question, right? They're attacking three creatures into our four creatures. We, we have some reasonable blocks, right? You know, they're attacking a 2-2 into our pillar bug. We can put a pillar bug and a servo on their 3-3 artisan. We can line up all of our creatures on Fairgrounds Warden to try and get back Gearsmith. Like, what does this attack mean with our opponent having two cards in hand? Yeah, I think, you know, we were both thinking, why is our opponent attacking with Fairgrounds Warden here? There's no way that our opponent wants to trade off Fairgrounds Warden because it's a disaster if we get our gear, Restoration Gearsmith back and get to rebuy a creature. If if, Restor, if Fairgrounds Warden dies, our opponent is in considerably bad shape. Right. So I think that leads us to believe that there are tricks involved, and then the question is to try to figure out what. Mm-hmm. The best case scenario for us is we line everything up on Fairgrounds Warden, and that gives us seven power against five toughness. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to figure out basically is what the opponent has. Mm-hmm. You know, they could have Inspired Charge feels most likely if they're swinging with the entire team. Right. But there are also individual tricks that are pretty bad for us, right? If we crack Puzzle Knot and line everything up on the Fairgrounds Warden and our opponent has Subtle Strike, you know, they absolutely crush us because they put a plus one plus one counter on the Fairgrounds Warden and shrink the Propeller Pioneer and they get to eat some of our stuff and Fairgrounds Warden doesn't die. So that would be worst case scenario. But I mean, there are other things like plus two plus two. We can still eat their Fairgrounds Warden if they have that. So I don't know. Ultimately, my feeling was we were in a bad enough spot here that, you know, if Fairgrounds Warden died, we were in great shape. So I I voted for lining everything up on the Fairgrounds Warden. Yeah, I think that makes the most sense to me. Like it beats the most things. It doesn't like gets wrecked by Subtle Strike, but it feels the attack all feels most likely Inspired Charge to me. The really bad situation is if it's Inspired Charge plus something else, then we're, we're pretty owned. But that doesn't feel like something we can beat anyway, right? Right. And I think Subtle Strike owns us enough even if we don't line everything up on the fairgrounds warden exactly right like there just aren't i'm trying to imagine like well what are the the better blocks we can make like let's say we peg them for inspired charge if that's what we peg them for then i think you have to line it up on warden because that's the best way to block that right where we effectively gain two from the pillar bug right so we're effectively at 14 here not 12 so even if it's charge and we get our our gearsmith back and they kill a few of our creatures we we take nine, but we can recover from that pretty effectively once we, you know, Gearsmith comes in, we rebuy our best thing. We have an aviary mechanic in hand to like pick up Gearsmith, put it back into play, get something else. Like getting Gearsmith back is the way we win this game. Yes, I agree. So that is what we ended up doing. Cracked Puzzle Knot, lined everybody up, seven points of power against the Fairgrounds Warden, five points of toughness. Inspired Charge was the play. Um, they killed a couple of our creatures, but we got Gearsmith back and were able to grind a bunch of value out to win the match. Boom. All right, taking a look at one of mine here. This is a straightforward red-green beatdown deck. Shout out to Alex, no fun, Nikolic. 
This is nine forests and six mountains uh, in a, the mana base. And a Whirler Maker that somehow found its way into this deck. So that's the Ben Werney touch. Yeah, I mean, we can't just go straightforward nonsense. Exactly. So triple attune with Ether also. So we essentially have 18 sources. Our mana is very good. Two drops are Ether Chaser, Seed Sculptor, and Long Tusk Cub. And then three drops, triple Thriving Rhino, Quicksmith Genius, Good Fours, and Pima Outrider, Outland Boar, some five drops, and some removal in Chandra's Revolution Well sparks it is a very straightforward play some creatures play some combat tricks play some removal try to curve out and beat your opponent in whirler maker in case of emergency so here's what's up on this what's the play your opponent's gotten out to kind of a fast start and you're trying to stabilize with no guarantee of drawing your fourth land so let me describe the board state to you here opponent has countless gears renegade that they've played as their two drop and salivating gremlins that they've played as their three drop they were on the play They attacked you with Countless Gears Renegade on turn two. You have not made a play yet. It's your turn three, and you have Forest, Forest, Mountain on the battlefield, untapped, and your hand is the following cards. Welding Sparks, Chandra's Revolution, Thriving Rhino, Pima Outrider, Pima Outrider, Outland Boar. So lots of strong four drops and a Blossoming Defense. But you don't know if you're going to draw your fourth land next turn. So your choice right now is either to play Thriving Rhino, which is appealing because it blocks both their creatures, or to cast Welding Sparks either right now or on your opponent's turn. I think if you're going to cast Welding Sparks, you should do it now, right? You play around built to last or... I mean, people aren't really playing alley evasion, but I think, you know, if you want to kill the salivating gremlins, I would just do it now rather than wait. I'm kind of tempted to play the thriving rhino here. This is game two. So I wonder if you have like any information here. Yeah, your your opponent's opponent's very aggressive. They're red, white pedal to the metal. So you feel like you play rhino and then what if they go on their turn? I'm going to attack both. Like, do you just feel like, uh, I guess I, I block renegade and I trade rhino with some sort of combat trick? Is that the worst? Yeah, that that's the worst. Like I, that, or they have a removal spell. But then they're, or they have a removal spell. But then they're not adding to the board, and Gremlins is unlikely to. I guess the other option is they play an artifact, and then Gremlins is a four three, and they get to attack you for four. Right. I don't. This is really tough. I I don't actually know what the correct play is here my gut is telling me to play rhino but i could definitely see arguments for playing welding sparks i guess what's the the other factor here is you don't you aren't guaranteed a fourth land right now so you're not guaranteed to be able to deploy your you know if you knew that you were going to be able to play outrider outrider boar in a row or whatever however you wanted to sequence that then i think i'd be much more inclined to play the removal spell now just be like i'm going to stem the bleeding and then next turn i just get to start deploying these giant threats but because you don't know that i I kind of feel like putting down Rhino and hopefully being able to hold off Countless Gears Renegade, potentially being able to bounce off the Gremlins, I think would be my play. Yeah, I ended up opting for the Welding Sparks line. And here's why. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, right? Okay. But I think it's how how conservative versus how risky you want to be, right? Thriving Rhino, if it works, like if you play Thriving Rhino and your opponent says no attacks, you feel great, right? Mm -hmm. But if you play Thriving Rhino and your opponent swings both, then like, are you blocking with your Thriving Rhino? You're kind of priced into you it, right? You have to, yeah, yeah. But then you're playing in your opponent's game plan. Maybe they play a trick and they play another two drop and you start to get behind on the board and you brick on lands. I don't know. I think the way that you lose this game is playing Thriving Rhino and your opponent having tricks and or removal and you bricking on lands. So basically, right now we have seven cards in hand of the opponent's four. I think 
our late game is definitely going to be better as soon as we can start casting Pima Outriders and Outland 4. Like those are the best cards on the planet against Red White. Mm-hmm. So I think my, my gut says I just want to be as absolutely conservative as possible to not take damage and to try to just make sure that the game can go longer. And I think the best way to do that, even though it feels kind of bad, is to Welding Sparks Gremlins right now. That rules out them playing any artifacts to attack you for four. I just think it's the most conservative line possible. And I think I want to take the most conservative line when my hand is this good. I There's a couple other things while you were talking about that that came to my mind. The first is that one of the th- reasons I think maybe playing Rhino is good is like, isn't it better to get a trick out of their hand or removal spell out of their hand on Rhino than it is on, you know, Outrider or Boar. What do you think about that? Uh, I don't necessarily agree because you can Outrider for a 3-3 and a 1-1. Mostly what I'm worried about is the opponent snowballing and falling too far behind. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's nice about Sparks this turn is that if you do draw a land, then you have the option also of playing Rhino and having Blossoming Defense as backup. So you can go like, look, here's my blocker for your thing. And then your opponent either uses a removal spell or they use their, you know, built to last and then you get to go aha i have a plus two plus two as well yeah that's certainly a consideration as well i just think in as a heuristic when you're behind and you're trying to stabilize the best way to stabilize is through casting a removal spell even if it feels bad because it it lessens the amount of ways your opponent has to push damage i think right yeah yeah like it's pretty disastrous if you play rhino and they just I think honestly the, the worst is straight up removal and then they get to smash or, or removal plus something else. I mean if even if, if you get to soak up a little bit of damage and they use a combat trick, that's less bad. But yeah, this the, the definitely has the potential to snowball, right? When you have when you have zero threats on board, your opponent has two, and you go to say, here's here's one threat, and your opponent goes, that's gone, and now I continue to push damage. And then, God forbid, you brick on your land drop the following turn. Right. So, I mean, if you play Thriving Rhino and your opponent swings both, you're blocking, yes? Yes, I'm 100% blocking Countless Gears Renegade. And then they have, like, say, a one CMC combat trick, and then play a three drop, and you brick on a land. Like, you're in a pretty bad spot there, I think. Yes, much worse than if you had just said, I'm going to kill the gremlins, and then, you you know, and then if you brick, you get to play Rhino the following turn, but then they don't have three creatures in play. Right. So I did end up welding sparks in the gremlin, and then they played Sweatworks Brawler, which a menace creature also, like, makes the Thriving Rhino play a little bit worse. Like, if your plan is blocking and your opponent's leveraging menace creatures... Um, so ultimately it worked out. We drew our fourth land on time, but I think this is an interesting spot. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So here's, uh, another one of mine. This is, uh, another grindy black white deck. We also, I believe drafted this together, but then we didn't play out the games together, but this deck was pretty sweet. Um, a lot of artifacts. We do have a hidden stockpile here. We've got my, uh, another signature of my decks in this format is double workshop assistant for the, the loop to loops here. Key to the city. Uh, Yehenny's expertise is our rares, a couple Fen haulers at the top of the curve. Um, this deck was pr- pretty, pretty darn good. So here's the situation. It's, it's our turn five, but we're, we're in a little bit of dire straits here. We're on the back foot against this red, green, aggressive deck. Our opponent has curved out quite nicely with Kujar Seed Sculptor, Ether Chaser, Druid of the Cowl, and an Untethered Express that already has a counter on it. So our life total is low. It's dangerous. We're at nine against their 14. It's our turn five. Our board is Foundry Screecher as our only creature, Inventor's Goggles, Underhanded Designs, and Oval Chase Dragster that's currently being held off by an untapped Ether Chaser with First Strike. Uh, we have a fifth land drop to give in hand, and our other three spells are Fen Hauler, Dawn Feather Eagle, and Foundry Screecher. So as I see it, we have essentially four options of what we can do. We can just cast Fen Hauler, 
using the two artifacts in play plus our five lands to so just get a five five on the board we can cast dawn feather eagle and you know we could do some fancy crewing but unfortunately dragster like i said can't get in uh needs three toughness so that brings me to uh, our third option which is to play foundry's creature and then we can use that to crew the dragster and then equip goggles to dragster so then it'll be out of range right it'll be a seven three so it, it can attack through the ether chaser or we can cast foundry's creature and hold up underhanded designs to kill their express if they go to attack us on their turn um so this, this we're in this like really weird spot of like we know we have to pressure our opponent right because th they're pressuring us quite a bit and so you know we've got these evasive threats that can fly over them the screechers the eagle we can get in a huge chunk of damage with opal chase dragster on a turn but we gotta also leave some stuff back we because if we, if we have no way to block our opponent effectively you know they're attacking us with a six six express they've got ether chaser making uh, servo potentially the ether chaser is holding off the dragster right now so wh which of those four options do you like ben yeah life totals are super relevant here when i first looked in on this my first instinct was well we have a great play we can you know go land crack underhanded designs kill ether chaser play foundry creature crew dragster and swing in for nine mm -hmm. you know, that's awesome yeah and then i saw the opponent's untethered express with a counter on it and i was like ah, let's walk that back a little bit <laughs> right any creature then means we're dead because they get to attack with the six points from Express, Druid, and uh, the two from Kujar Seed Sculptor. Right. So that's not a great spot to be. So I think you have to play this the most conservatively that you can, which I think is playing Foundry Screecher and holding up underhanded designs for their untethered Express. Um, and I think you do attack with your one Foundry Screecher here that can attack. So I think you attack, put your opponent to 11, play your 3-1 Foundry Screecher, and leave underhanded designs available in case of emergency. And I think if you probably are trading your foundry's creature off for their seed sculptor, if they choose to attack with their seed sculptor. Yeah. The, the, the one danger with that, and I, that is the line that I selected. The one danger with that is they just, I think if you're the opponent, then you're not supposed to crew express on that turn. I agree. So you like essentially light our two men on fire or force us to pop designs on something else. But you also, you also put the opponent in kind of a bad spot though, because if they're not being aggressive, that gives you time to stabilize, right? Right. Right. So if, if they don't choose to use the express, then, you know, we now have a screech. We have two screechers and now we have a Dawnfeather Eagle coming in or a Fenhaller as a chonker to soak up a lot of express damage. So yeah, I agree. It puts our opponent in, in an awkward spot. So that is what I did. I played the screecher, attacked with the one, put our opponent to 11. On their turn, they did choose to crew the express and uh, we popped the designs off. And then on our turn, we got to do the old, their ether chaser was tapped. So we got to go. Dawn Feather Eagle in response to the trigger crew our uh, dragster and then crack in for a bunch of trample damage plus eight in the air and we got the win. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the most interesting things about this situation is just literally like this was a level up moment for me as a magic player is seeing a board state like this and thinking through all of the options, right? Like to know that there are a lot of different permutations and combinations of, of things you can do with your mana and attacks and things like that. Magic's a complex game. And just taking the time to sit through and say, I have option A, B, C, D. And a lot of times you can rule out, you know, C through F or whatever, just because they're not good options, but that there are a lot of decision points in a game of magic. Right. But playing Fenhaller or Dawnfeather Eagle here are not winning lines, but it's just important to note, like, I can do this. I can do this. There's some thought, I think, right, to what's wrong with Dawnfeather Eagle attacking with Foundry Screecher and then plan to trade Dragster with Untethered Express. You just take too much damage. I think, I think we just die, right? We, we take 
that's five points of trample damage plus yeah that, that's just lethal but you have good blocks everywhere else right oh no because you have to tap the you have to tap the foundry's creature yeah 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 it's but it is complex yeah i think like doing a lot of these coaching sessions with folks from from our discord and otherwise that I think it's important to like have those shortcuts in your head of like heuristics of, well, what's the most mana efficient thing I can do now that the fact that we have, you know, about five different ways to use all of our mana this turn makes this complex. But those are like to have those defaults of like, well, what's the most aggressive thing I can do? What's the most defensive thing I can do? What's the most mana efficient thing I can do? And I think those are the ways that you find the best lines. Yeah, those are great questions to ask yourself. Love that. All right, next one from me. This is a pretty sweet uh, base red-black splashing a Tezzeret the Schemer Planeswalker deck. boy. Got a lot of goodies. We've got double Prophetic Prism and a Renegade map to help with the splash. We've got some good removal in Fatal Push, double Underhanded Designs, double Unlicensed Disintegration, Welding Sparks, and Essence Extraction. This deck is insane. <laughs> Have you talked about Marionette Master and Herald of Anguish? I have not. I was getting there. I was going up the curve. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. So we have we have some good cards in this deck. Wow. Here's the situation we find ourselves in. Our opponent has played a siege modification on their Sky Skiff, going all in, essentially, hoping that we don't have a removal spell. And on our turn, we've got the choice to kill it with an unlicensed disintegration or amorphous squad. So life totals are currently 20 to 15. Your opponent has cracked in once with their siege modified sky skiff. So it's now a 5-3 flying first strike creature always all the time. Um, they've hit their land drops curved out. And we were actually on the play, which is sort of a saving grace in the situation. So our turn two was playing underhanded designs. Our turn three was playing Weldfast engineer. And it's now our turn four. We've hit all our land drops with the following cards in hand. So our lands on the battlefield are Swamp Swamp, Mountain Mountain. And our hand is Tezzeret the Schemer, which we have no source for, an unlicensed disintegration, and a Malthus squad. Three and a black for the three one, Menace and Fabricate. And then we have another Swamp in hand. So the easy, obvious thing to do here, I think, is just to snap off unlicensed disintegration. But I think there's a little bit more going on here. Yeah, my first inclination when I looked at this was, all right, you cast... Unlicensed disintegration this turn, stem the bleeding, attack for three. And then next turn, you get to go land drop, squad, fabricate, get your little underhanded designs trigger there. So you get the little point to drain. And now you're starting to have a 3 1 menace plus a servo that now the engineer can target. And so that's a, a pretty good, you know, snowball-y thing now that you've two for one your opponent with the disintegration. But uh, we talked about this a little bit before the show, and I think you've got some better ideas here, Ben. Yeah, so I think my default in general, when I've got a choice to, if I, I know I have a removal spell locked up that's going to deal with a threat, and I have a choice between developing my board or spending the removal spell, I generally like to try to develop my board before spending the removal spell because I think you leverage your removal a lot more effectively once you have a board developed, right? That's how you push damage or you leverage your opponent into making a mistake with attacks or things like that. So all told here, I think there's more bang for your buck if you play Malphus Squad this turn make it a 3-1 and make a servo. You miss out on the underhanded designs drain, but that also gets you a lot closer to being able to crack underhanded designs as a removal spell right. if you need it. And I think since you know you can kill the sky skiff pretty much at will, it's worth taking another five damage here. And then the following turn, you know, you can potentially double spell with unlicensed disintegration and something else if you draw a cheaper play. I just think there's a lot of upside. And then the following turn after you kill Sky Skiff, or you have the option, you're going to be attacking for nine, right? Yeah, because right. the Weldfast Engineer is going to be giving your servo plus two plus O. Oh. So I think you're willing to take five damage here to develop your board and have 
better future turns. I think you handicap your future development here if you snap off unlicensed disintegration. And I think it's worth five damage to develop your board. Yeah, I think that's so key here is that then what you get to do, if you play squad this turn, as you said, you're gonna have nine points of power. Now you also have an artifact in play to unlock the three damage from disintegration. And as you said, to get one step closer to being able to crack designs as a removal spell. Then you have the option, you know, your opponent still probably thinks they're the aggressor. They attack for five in the air. Then they play some blocker. Now maybe you kill that instead. And you say, look, I can race your sky skiff all day because now you're all of a sudden your opponent's at, at five, right? You attack for three this turn with engineer. Next turn, if they just play one blocker and you attack for nine and use disintegration, now they're at five. Like they're just dead. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I, I think I would have made the mistake there of snapping off the removal spell. You know, everyone in Twitch chat was saying, how did you not unlicense disintegration there? But I think the idea of when you can afford to leverage your life total to develop your board and save your removal spell, it's a good general thing to do. And this situation illustrates why. You have a lot more leverage with the things on board. Your removal spell gets better in value the better your board is, you know, the, and it's a hard lesson to learn, right? You know, when we're saying removals overrated and things like that, one of the first memories I really have of drafting as a kid was in the local shop, you know, back in the, the before days Oof. when that was the thing that people did. Yeah. But, you know, like I was a 12 or 13 year old kid and I had like 12 removal spells that I drafted and I thought my deck was awesome. And I just lost because I didn't have any way to leverage my removal spells. I didn't have good creatures and I didn't have card advantage to draw to where I was doing better than trading one for one. So I eventually just lost every game after killing my opponent's stuff because they pulled ahead on card advantage or other things, you know? Yeah. So it feels like, you know, we've had a, a few situations where it's, you've had this choice of use removal versus play creatures, save removal for later. And I think maybe now I'm developing this, there's a heuristic here uh, potentially of if you feel like you can be ahead, if you feel like you can be the aggressor, then you save your removal for a crucial turn, right? You leverage it there. And if you feel like you are on the back foot, then you want to use removal to, to stem the bleeding so that then you can develop your board because you get in trouble, right? If you feel like you're on the back foot and you're trying to stabilize with creatures, then your opponent has the option of interacting there. Whereas if you just remove their threats, then you have, then you buy yourself more time. Right. You just have a lot more agency that way when you're trying to do it with a removal as opposed to blocking. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Super, super interesting. All right, next up for me is probably my best deck of the format, Ben. This is Quadruple Prophetic Prism, Quadruple Reckless Fireweaver, and just like a bunch of artifact nonsense. Got my my classic double workshop assistant loops, both Whirler Virtuoso and Maverick Thopterist. Whirler Virtuoso just, that's our only like energy thing, and I still think it's like really good. We have Dark Intimations because our mana is so good. Inventor's Fair along with our, our Grixis mana base. This deck was pretty darn sweet. Um, so here is the situation that we found ourselves in with this deck. So we're against a, a blue-white, looks like a little ag aggressive. I mean, they've curved out on us uh, quite a bit here. They went Metallic Mimic, naming, I think, Artificer here, maybe maybe Dwarf. I don't know what, I never play Ether Inspector, but they've got a Glinsleeve Artisan and an Ether Inspector. So they've gone 2-drop, 3-drop, 4-drop. Their Glinsleeve Artisan is a 4-4. Four, four. Their Ether Inspector is a 3-4, and they've got their 2 energy. Um, our board here, we, we went... Uh, Got a pretty pretty explosive start here. Turn two, Cogworkers Puzzle Knot into turn three, Maverick Thopterist, which is pretty darn nice. But feeling a little on the back foot. So our opponent's at 20. We're only at 16, but facing down quite a bit of damage with their 4-4 and their 3-4, also making a servo on the following turn if they want. So in hand, we've got a bunch of lands, three mountains. 
an unlicensed disintegration, an implement of examination, and a self-assembler. And we have one other self-assembler in the deck that we can go find. I think we, again, have, as I can boil it down, we have three options here. We can play a land. That's obviously going to happen. And then we can either play implement and crack it, right? That uses all four of our mana. So that's the most mana efficient uh, use of our turn. Or we can use unlicensed disintegration and target either. I don't think Metallic Mimic is on uh, the board because we can use one of our servos or thopters to trade with that. But we can use unlicensed disintegration to snap off either the artisan or the inspector. The artisan is tapped, so killing the inspector would enable some attacks, but the artisan is a larger threat as a 4-4 versus a 3-4. So what do you like here, Ben? Well, I think there's a lot going on, right? You're not, well, you're kind of horrifically far behind, but you're, you have unlicensed disintegration to catch back up. So I Mm -hmm. think you're almost certainly casting that this, this turn because you need to affect the board. You, You can rule out implement as a play because, you just need to do something because your opponent's got bigger things than you. You mm-hmm. need to stop them from having such good attacks. Well, but you know that you're going to get 4-4 four, four into 4-4 four, four on the following two turns. Does that change anything at all that you're like, well, you know, I, c- I can take a turn off and use my mana the most effectively, draw two, and then, you know, I know I'm going to have 4-4, four, 4-4 four, four, four to hopefully stem the bleeding. I don't think so because you know you have that regardless of whether or not you play implement. So I'd rather, after all the dust has settled play my implement and draw my cards after I've made the board more favorable for me. Yeah. So I am locked in 100% to firing off unlicensed disintegration here. I'm just trying to decide whether it's the tapped Glint Sleeve Artisan or the Ether Inspector. The line I like the best, I think, is unlicensed disintegration, the Ether Inspector, which prevents your opponent from using that energy to make a servo, at least in the meantime. Mm-hmm. And then also opens up attacks for you. You can swing with all five of your creatures and then your opponent's potentially at 12 with just a 2-1 and a 4-4 and they don't have great options on the crackback. I mean, they can crack you back, but you're fine going to 10 Mm -hmm. knowing that you've got self-assemblers and a super wide board of servos and thopters to block. I just think you put yourself in a pretty favorable position here if you unlicense disintegration the inspector and swing out. Maybe they block with metallic mimic, maybe they don't. But regardless, I think the board is a lot better for you and your self-assemblers are going to be a lot more impactful. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. So I I do agree that disintegration has to be the play this turn. But, you know, deciding, do you fire it off now? Do you do that? I think there's an option of I just pass and then maybe I line up a bunch of blocks on, on, you know, I have Thopterist plus two one ones on a 4-4. And then if they go for something tricksy, then you have this like huge blowout potential with disintegration. But I also think they might just be fine with you, you know, losing your Thopterist and two one ones that they wouldn't do anything. And then your board is a lot less exciting. So it's, it's a super interesting like flip because I feel like I start this turn by thinking, oh boy, I'm on the back foot. How do I stem the bleeding? But then this this option of, oh, I can just blow up the three four and all of a sudden they take three from disintegration. I think that that also factors in a pretty big amount here of that disintegration also deals three. And then you get to attack for five and all of a sudden you're like, hey, I'm racing and I know I have 4-4 four, four into 4-4 four, four to, to deal with your Glintsleeve Artisan. Right. And even if they deal with your 4-4s, four, you've got Servo Chumps right. going on or Thopto Chumps in case of emergency, you know, mm-hmm. if they they can deal with your self-assembler. Yeah. And then you're still bored back at parity. But I, I think leveraging an attack here is pretty good for you. Yeah. So that that is what I did. I, I fired off the disintegration here, swung with the team, and uh, and then got to follow up with some self-assemblers and uh, went on to win this game. This This deck was sweet. This is definitely my my best deck of the format, I think. It is really nice looking. Our last what's the play here is not a very good deck. Um, it's blue green, <laughs> blue green splashing Dovin, which is just terrible. I, I forgot to tell you, I played against Dovin yesterday in the 
draft challenge and my opponent ultimated Dovin and I still won. What I don't add true to form. I do not know what a Dovin ultimate does. Uh, your opponent get an emblem or they can only untap two permanents a turn. And you won through that? That's I impressive. won through that. Yeah. Um, Hidden stockpile is a hell of a drug. Just, just pumping out one ones. And with, I think I had a chief of the foundry to make them two twos. So it just like didn't matter that I couldn't untap very much. Um, anyway, so yeah, Dovin is terrible, but I was like, oh, I kind of want to play it. And green usually lets me splash. I didn't really actually get there on the fixing. Only one attune with ether and then an ether hub as uh, as ways to splash the Dovin. It's just like a, a derpy green blue. You know, we have some busted starts. We've got a green belt rampager, long tusk cub, ether swooper, but, you know, triple seed sculptor and, you know, a couple things at the top of the curve, like a ridge scale tusker and a lifecraft cavalry. But not very exciting deck at all. Um, so here's our situation. We're game one against red black removal dot deck. The board is as follows. Our, our opponent is at 16. They have a servo, a filigree familiar, and an ether poisoner with two energy. They have two cards left in hand. They fired off, I think, three removal spells at this point. Our board is a hinterland drake with a counter on it. So it's a 3-4. Uh, Kujar Seed Sculptor is a 1-2, and Druid of the Cowl is a 1-3. Our board is three islands, two forests. In hand, we have an uncastable Dovin. We haven't found a white source yet. And we have Hunt the Weak. So our opponent, like I said, they fired off a bunch of removal spells. We're sort of like at parity-ish here. We've got a 1-3 and a 1-2. We can have the 1-3 bounce off the filigree familiar. 1-2 seed sculptor can like trade with the poisoner, holds off a servo. And we're cracking in effectively with our hinterland drake as a 3-4 in the air. Um, like I said, our opponent has two cards in hand, but they fired off a handful of removal spells already. And so basically the consideration here is to play Hunt the Weak or not, because it's a, a spell we can cast. And in my mind, our opponent's life total here is quite relevant, um, because as Hidril and Drake stands as a 3-4, it's a six-turn clock to kill them at 16. But Hunt the Weak getting a counter on the Drake accelerates that to a four-turn clock exactly in the air. And there's nothing really that I want to fight, right? That's the other problem. Like, we can't fight the Death Toucher. Filigree Familiar will draw them a card, so I don't really want to do that. And the Servo is irrelevant. So Hunt the Week would essentially just be putting a plus one plus one counter on our Drake here to accelerate the clock. So I think those are really the only options you have is whether or not you want to cast Hunt the Week here. Yeah, so for me, when I look at this board, there's there's nothing that makes me particularly want to cast Hunt the Week. So um, spo- to spoil this, because I think it's an interesting discussion, you you decided to Hunt the Week the Hinterland Drake on the Servo mm-hmm. to give yourself a four-turn clock in the air. Yeah. And when I, when I looked at this What's the Play, my What's the Play is to just swing with Hinterland Drake and do nothing and, and hold on to Hunt the Week, yeah. um, which I think is fine like i i guess i'm i'm curious as to why you felt the need to be so aggressive here because as as i see it you know you're you've got advantage right you're ahead mm-hmm. you're not even really at parity because you're cracking in for three a turn with the hinterland drake and your opponent has no good attacks you can block drew to the cowl on filigree familiar and you can block kujar seed sculptor on their ether poisoner or their servo. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're pretty favored here, and I think you can just save your removal spell for the next threat they play. Your opponent had five mana, and their best play was Ether Poisoner. I mean, that seems pretty encouraging for you just to you know draw cards and ride the game out. Yeah, I, I don't know. I felt I just felt like I'm out of gas here. If we're like essentially in top deck mode, I feel like red black might be able to draw more removal. I mean, we have seen a lot of removal spells already, so that makes them less likely to have one. But you know the 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 quicker I can end this game, I felt like the better because if they do remove the Drake, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm not 
out because like you said, I can hold off stuff, but I don't know how I'm winning if they get rid of the Drake in the next few turns. And you just, you just feel like your deck is that bad that you don't have any good draws. Well, I mean, you can draw, you can draw a Tusker, you can draw Tezzeret's ambition. But Tusker doesn't do anything on this board. I guess. Right. I mean, as long as they've got like the poisoner is, is pretty brutal here. Like I don't, I have ether swooper as another flying threat, but yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't really have very good draws. But your opponent is also not killing you, I guess would be what I would say to you. Yeah. It feels it feels bad to me to spew off a removal spell here when we're not dying. Yeah. Like if we were in a racing situation, sure, sign me up. But like you're just at parity with you being slightly ahead, I think. Yeah, that's very it's very true. I don't I know maybe maybe it's just super fancy to think about. Look, this this accelerates the clock by by two turns. Well, I think it's interesting to think about because it did not even like did not even come across my mind. You know, we were talking about earlier, like, you know, you have A, B, C, D, E, F or whatever, and you can rule out some you, of the others. You thought there like, was A. It, it, yeah, like <laughs> it just did not even enter my mind that that was a possible play because I think it's so low value. I think there's definite value. No, I agree. I, that's I think that's interesting. It's, it's interesting. That's the most aggressive line. I think one of the most interesting things that's come out of all of this is your way of framing it as like looking at plays as what's the most aggressive play you could make what's the most defensive and what's the most mana efficient. That's a really good way to summarize like chunking those options um, and trying to rule out some of the other ones that are maybe irrelevant. And so the most aggressive play you can make here is hunt the weak on your hinterland Drake killing their one one. That's a that's an interesting framework to look at it through. Yeah, and I've never thought about it that way before. Sweet. Well, if, if anything, this huge blowout of me casting Hunt the Week on my Drake and then my opponent casting Welding Sparks in response to kill the Drake <laughs> at least has uh, has presented that as a good heuristic. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel like maybe it was one of the first times we had Ryan on when we were talking about like, you know, building decks with optimism or drafting aggro decks or whatever, like that that idea of getting your opponent to zero exactly, right? Thinking back that way is one of the, the things that I think about a lot. And this turn, I think, exemplifies that of going, oh, well, I can actually make it an exactly four turn clock in the air here, but did end up getting savagely two for one. Yeah. Very cool. What's the play though? And I think there's a lot of takeaways, just even more than the plays in the individual things, like a lot of in-game things to think about. And I, I really especially like that shortcut of how to grok the decisions for most aggressive, most behind, and most mana efficient. Yeah, I think those are those are really good things to to just keep track of all the time. All right. I think that's gonna do it for us. Great place to wrap up the episode. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to channelfireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you are heading over to CFB to take advantage of their sweet, sweet Black Friday slash Cyber Monday deal today that the episode is released, um, please use code LOL at checkout to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I'm a Twitch TV slash Lord Tupperware. Ben's at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. You can tweet at us under those same usernames and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at Lords of Limited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks everybody. See you later. 